So the, the primary uh, and obvious point of this passage of Scripture that we read, verses 16 to the end of the chapter, and we looked at it last week, is that it really is so obvious the distinct difference between the flesh and the spirit, right? Um, that's that's the large point that you see when you read this. It, I don't. It's hard to mistake that point. Is that there is a great difference between the spirit and the flesh, and it tells us that these things are contrary. They are moving in different directions. And so, uh, we are to operate in this power and the grace and the, the fellowship and the yieldedness to the Holy Spirit and not to our flesh. So that's the obvious lesson that we see in this passage. But we don't want to miss the implication of that which is that there is an obvious difference between the flesh and the spirit, and therefore there is an obvious distinction, a difference between a lost person and a saved person. There, there ought to be a, a really a vast difference between somebody who has never been born again and are therefore void of the Spirit of God, and they operate exclusively in the flesh. And somebody who has been born again and therefore has indwelling in them the Holy Spirit of God. And there ought to be a, a difference. We see, you know, there's this difference in terms of behavior. You noticed in verses 21, uh, 20, 21 is the Works, actually starting in verse 19, the works of the flesh. And they are in contrast to verse 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. So there's this distinction between the lost person and the saved person. There's also the difference that happens between uh, what I was or who I was before I was saved and who I am after I have been saved. After I was born again and quickened by the Spirit and dwelt by and powered by the Spirit, there was a great change. And that change in terms of my behavior and my attitude and my character and what this calls fruit that comes from our life. And therefore, uh, we just need to understand that, that there's this big difference. Because now, as once you have been born again, and if you're not a Christian today, and it's very possible that you are here uh, in church and not having been born again. Not everybody that comes into a church is, you know, just automatically a believer. Um, unbelievers, sometimes sit in the church pews. And there's nothing wrong with that as far as uh, we, we invite all to come. And certainly we want those who do not know the Lord to come so that they might then hear of the gospel and be saved. So if you're here today and, and you have not been quickened, that, that's a, 
uh, an interesting word, but it really has the idea of made alive. Spiritually, uh, the Bible tells us that before I, before I was saved, before you were saved, before anybody is saved, they are spiritually dead and need to be regenerated, brought to life spiritually by the Lord. And then we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I want you to turn with me. We'll come back to Galatians in just a little while, but I want to go to John chapter 16 for a moment. I think I referred to these verses perhaps recently, but I'd like us to see them with our eyes this morning. But as I began to say, if you don't know the Lord as your Savior, I would pray that you, before today is over, you will. Because there's a fruit, there's a, a product that happens in the life of an individual who has been made alive spiritually and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, find verse number 13. And I want to show you a little bit of what the Holy Spirit is doing in the life of believers. Jesus is telling his disciples that he's going to go away, but he has told them that he won't leave them completely, you know, on their own, comfortless, but he would send the Comforter, as he's referred to, or the Spirit of Truth, as we see here, the one we call the part of the Godhead, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So verse 13 says, How be it when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak. And He will show you things to come. He shall glorify Me, for He shall receive of Mine and shall show it unto you. There's something interesting there. Um, I found it, in, I never really actually thought about this before when I've read this, but I thought about it yesterday as I was thinking about it again. And he says that the Spirit of truth will come and he will guide you into all truth. And then he says he will not speak of himself, but whatever, whatsoever he shall hear. It's just kind of interesting. This is, this is a side note, okay, a little footnote. But, you know, in the Lord Jesus, he often said that... Um, I, I speak not the things, you know, don't speak my words, but I, I'm speaking to you what the Father has given me. And then he tells us that when the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us, that he will not speak of himself, but he will speak of Christ. I don't know, that's just an interesting, that was just an interesting observation. But what I want you to see here is that the Holy Spirit is indwelling the believer now in the New Testament age that we live in. We are indwelt, and He is guiding us. He's teaching us. That's part of His work, is to, uh, to guide, to give uh, direction to our lives, to teach us. And I'm thankful for that. That's why when we read the Scriptures, you know, the Bible talks about that the, these, the Bible is a spiritual book. And it says these things are spiritually discerned. In other words... Um, you know, when the disciples were with Jesus, they often would ask him about, you know, he would make statements and they would say, um, Lord, that's a hard saying. We don't, we don't quite understand that. Can you help us? And the Lord would teach them. He would explain it to them, right? He explained the parables to them. 
I, I think about the two that were on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection, and Jesus was with them, but they didn't recognize him. And you remember in that story that uh, they Jesus basically, I think it says he started at Moses and, and the Psalms and the prophets, all the Old Testament scriptures, and he he taught them about himself. He taught them how that uh, the Messiah would come and die and rise again. But you remember what they said when he uh, he broke bread and their eyes were opened and he knew, they knew it was the Lord, and then the Lord vanished out of their sight and and they said, "Did not our hearts burn within us when He spoke with us?" And I and I thought to myself, and I remember reading that and thinking about that one time. I thought, "What a what a what a wonderful experience that must have been." You know, when they're finally there eyes were open and they understood things and their heart burned with the truth of the Scripture because they had Jesus there to teach them. But then I thought, you know what? We really are privileged today. We have the Holy Spirit here to teach us. I mean, I, I hope to be used somewhat by the Lord to teach you, but but even when I teach, I really pray and depend upon the fact that the Holy Spirit's going to take these things to our hearts. And the words that I don't even know how to rightly say, he will he will interpret for us. So the Lord, you know, the Holy Spirit is guiding us and he's teaching us, but his subject of instruction is about Jesus. Isn't that what he says in verse 14, he will glorify me. The Holy Spirit is glorifying Jesus. He doesn't come into our life to glorify us. He comes into our life to glorify the Lord in us. Turn with me to um, uh, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> And find verse 21 and just hold your place because we'll read that in a moment. But we're talking today about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Now, my wife sometimes, I think I can say more than sometimes, she often sends me to the grocery store with a list. And I've learned over the years, I didn't even know the right terminology when somebody, well, let me, let me just say what I was going to say. When you're sent to the grocery store, it doesn't matter, Safeway, Courtney Market, Extra Food, or it's not Extra Food anymore, uh, No Frills. Um, you go there, and if you're getting some vegetables, what department do you go to? The produce, right? I was going to wait to see how you guys say it, produce. Because sometimes it's produce, produce. Um, Having grown up in America, my speech still betrays me sometimes. I don't think I have an accent, but I have people. I had a guy tell me not so long ago, he said, how long have you lived here? And I said, oh, like 23 years. And he said, you still sound like a Yankee. <laughs> and um, I said, no, I don't. Surely not. And he said, no, you do. And I said, ah, okay. But anyway, so I didn't know if it was produce or produce. or, But anyway, produce. And, you know, vegetables, and I guess fruit is in that same area, um, that's the, that's the, it's a product of plants, right? It's a product of 
bushes. And Josh and I always argue about tomatoes. They're a vegetable. He swears they're a fruit. But um, this, did you know the U.S. Supreme Court actually ruled one time that they are a vegetable? <laughs> Look that up. You can Google it later. Um, I know uh, scientifically they call them fruit. But anyway, if it grows in my vegetable garden, I consider it a vegetable. <laughs> my point is this. The fruit of the Spirit is what the Spirit produces. It's the product of the Holy Spirit, right? We understand that. That's, that's what the fruit is. It's simply what the Holy Spirit, because we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, and He's guiding and He's teaching, He's working, and He works to produce in us His fruit. Did you know what that fruit is? Now we're going to look at Galatians 5 in a moment, but essentially, ultimately, that fruit is to teach us to be like Christ. That's ultimately what His fruit is. We saw in John 16 that uh, He will glorify Christ in us. Look at uh, verse 21 here in Romans 8. He says, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. The creature itself. He's talking there about creation. He's talking about, in this passage, our bodies, all these things. He says in verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. We can see that, can't we? The world is under this smoky cloud of the curse of sin, groaning and going along in pain. Verse 23, And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruit of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But we, if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. So he's saying there that right now we are in this old body, in these corrupt bodies, and we have this sinful fallenness that we were born with. And that's all of us, and that affects all of creation. And we're groaning and going along and, you know, under this dead weight of the fallenness that we live in. But we look forward to something great in the future, don't we? Aren't you glad that, you know, uh, we have something to look forward to? I always remember every time I think of this, and I know I've said it before, but not for a long time. Um, Brother Dawson, somehow I've been quoting Brother Dawson quite a lot lately. Uh, he's with the Lord. He was a friend of mine many years ago. He was an evangelist. But he had a sermon, and the title of that sermon was, Keep Your Fork, The Best is Yet to Come. <laughs> and uh, that's true. We look forward to uh, something great. And he talks about here uh, the redemption of our bodies at verse 23. You see, our soul has been redeemed. And we are spiritually alive and and so forth, but our bodies, we still have this old flesh. And one day, thankfully, 
we're going to put on incorruptible bodies and immortal bodies and sinless bodies. And we all say amen to that. But we have hope for those things. But the Spirit is now even working toward that goal. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Your infirmities are your weaknesses. And the Spirit of God, we are, we are weak. We said last week in that verse in um, Galatians 5, I think it's 17, where he says, the flesh lusteth against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, and these two are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. We want to do things for the Lord, but our flesh is weak. We want to live holy, and that's the desire of every Christian. That's the desire of the, the Spirit of God generates within us. But so often we are held back because we're incarcerated in these fallen bodies. But the Spirit now is helping. Remember we talked last week about overcomers? That's in this chapter. We are more than conquerors. But anyway, the Spirit helping us in our infirmities. And He helps us, of course, in our prayer life. If you read verse 26, He's talking about prayer there. All the way down in verse 28. Here's a verse you know well. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to His purpose. So the Holy Spirit is he's working to help us over our infirmities to uh, grow and to be spiritual. And He's working all things together for good. He takes the temptations that we face and He makes them opportunities to express our love for God. He takes the trials of life and and, you know, those things that normally would throw us off course or get us depressed or, or just overwhelm us in our life, He can take those and He can make them uh, areas of which, in, in which we grow. The Spirit of God does that. He works all these things together for good. And the good that He is working, at, working toward is seen in verse 29. For whom... He, God, did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. You see, this is what the Holy Spirit is doing. He is working to conform us to this predetermined, predestined goal for every child of God is that we would be like Christ. That's the product. That's the ultimate goal and product of, that the Holy Spirit and of God in our life is to be. So, what does that product look like? Now we go back to Galatians chapter 5. Because not all fruits look the same. Right now is kind of berry season. I picked a whole bucket of blueberries yesterday. With a couple of raspberries. But um and I saw some blackberries. I was at the I was at the mailbox right by on your corner there, Miss Corrine. There's blackberry bushes. It's almost like they overcome the that I have to put newspapers in that box 
and I have to fight off the briars to get to it. But there's blackberries there now. So if you want blackberries, huckleberries, now's the time to get out there. You can't find them because they're all in the smoke, but, but uh, they're out there. And this is the... Yeah, but there's this, there's this one bush out there, and I've, and I've seen these things. They look like a raspberry, but there's these big leaves. I don't know what this is, but this, they look just like a raspberry, red raspberry. And I tried to eat one once. And I was like, yeah, that's not any good. And it just doesn't taste like a raspberry. What did you call them? Thimbleberries. See, I knew it had a name. I just didn't know what it was. But they mimic a raspberry, but they're not a raspberry. And we want to be able to identify the real fruit, the good fruit. So he tells us what it is here. So the ultimate goal is for the Spirit is to produce the, the Christ-likeness. We sang a song just a moment ago, uh, How Can I Fear? Now, I don't know if you ever look at the name of who wrote those songs when we sing them, but if you did, at the top of the page, you saw this name, Ron Hamilton. Ron Hamilton, unlike a lot of hymns we sing, and I love, I love the hymns we have in our book, but a lot of them were written by uh, men who lived two, three hundred, four hundred years ago. Did you know Ron Hamilton's still alive? Um, sadly, right now, Brother Hamilton, he has Alzheimer's. And uh, he's not doing so well. But a lot of kids knew him as Patch the Pirate. Yeah, that's him. Ron Hamilton is Patch the Pirate. And uh, he was called Patch the Pirate because one time he lost an eye. They, he had cancer in his eye and they removed an eye and they made him wear an eye patch. And the kids all called him Patch the Pirate. So he had a children's ministry for many years. And my kids loved him as a kid. But anyway, Ron Hamilton's dad died. And when he did... Ron wrote this hymn about his dad. He said, When I enter heaven's glory and I see my Savior's face, I will offer him 10,000 years of praise. Then I'll find that special one in whose life I saw God's Son. And through tears of joy with trembling lips, these words I'll say, I saw Jesus in you. I saw Jesus in you. I could hear his voice in the words you said. In your eyes I saw his care. I could see his love was there. You were faithful, and I saw Jesus in you. Now, wouldn't that be a great thing if every child could say that to their dad? I saw Jesus in you. You see, that's really the fruit that we long for and we pray for. Because that's what it comes down to. Do others see Jesus in you? Do they see Jesus in me? Well, what does it look like? Back in uh, Galatians 5 and verse 19. Or excuse me, not 19. That's the works of the flesh. Verse 22 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, 
meekness, temperance. Now, let me just point out a couple things before we wrap this up this morning. We're going to look more at this again next week, but um, in very practical terms, this fruit looks like this. And let me point out what a lot of people have pointed out before, is that this fruit is singular. It's singular. In other words, he says, he doesn't say, but the fruits of the Spirit are, are. He said, the fruit is. And he names nine things. Unlike the works of the flesh, back up in verse 19 and through 21, the works of the flesh are varied and many. Because not all of us, you know, our flesh, we all have different affinities, uh, different temptations. Not everybody who operates in the flesh is an adulterer or a drunkard or such like. But, so there, you know, you, there's a whole catalog of works of the flesh that you could kind of choose from as your flesh, you know, what's, what's appealing to you. There are some sins that never appealed to me. You know, people, you know, you might, some people, what do they call them, kleptomaniacs or something, you know, people that just want to steal things. They covet, they just can't seem to help themselves, they take it. Some of you, maybe, uh, that was a, a problem in your life. But for others, well, no, that wasn't really what it is. But they had other things. We all had our sinful behaviors, our patterns, our habits, and so on. So there's varied works of the flesh. And there are, in another vein, um, the fruit, or excuse me, the gifts of the Spirit differ. Right? In Corinthians, he says, uh, does everybody speak in tongues? Does everybody do this? Does everybody? And the answer is no, no. There's different, differing gifts of the Spirit. But when we come to the fruit of the Spirit, it's singular. And, and what it, that kind of says to me is this. You know, some of us are more naturally disposi- dispositioned. Is that the word? Uh, we're predisposed to kind of go along. You know, some of these we identify worth with more than others. You might just naturally, by your temperament, be gentle. You know, you can be. You could just be born a gentle person, a gentle soul, without even being saved. You might be, you know, um, some people are just more prone to joyfulness. Some are very melancholy. But this isn't, you know, God doesn't make lopsided Christians. This isn't like, you, can, you don't just say, well, you know, I got the gentleness one, but I don't have that other one, you know. I, I have the patient one, but I don't have the loving one, or whatever it is. No, it's, it's one fruit. All these are aspects of that fruit. And when we, when we see the fruit of the Spirit, God's working all these things together in us. So this fruit, of this, it, this fruit is singular. Number two, this fruit is Spirit-produced. This is not something we can manufacture on our own. If you have not the Spirit, as I said, if you're not a believer... You're going to be frustrated in trying to you know, put these things into your life. Because it, without the Holy Spirit, you can, it's possible to create an outward change of habit without experiencing the inward change of heart. 
But these are, these are matters of the heart. These are not action fruit as much as they are attitude fruit. You know, love and joy and peace and long-suffering, those are, those are dispositions of the heart. And, and um, you know, we can try to act in such a way that maybe mimics it. We can look like that raspberry, but when somebody really gets a hold of it, it doesn't taste right. Because we're trying to produce it of ourselves. But it's the product of the Holy Spirit. So, this brings me to my third and last point. So first of all, we said the fruit is singular, this fruit is spirit-produced, and then this fruit has a superior trait. And I, and I, I thought about this, if this was, you know, I didn't want to, I said it's all one, and it is one, but I do think that the first one is kind of like, how do I say, the first one is the the disposition of the heart from which all the other ones flow. And it's love. Love. That's the first one mentioned. Love. The first aspect of this one fruit of the Spirit is love. I've said before that um, if there is, and I don't know, again, I'm going to hedge a little bit about this because, uh, you know, if you were to pick an attribute of God that is the most important or the biggest attribute of God. Lots of people would probably say holiness. And, and I, I kind of like that thought. Again, all of his attributes, he's, he's perfect in every attribute. So you understand what I'm trying to say. But you know, out of his holiness, I thought about holiness and I thought, can you imagine an omnipotent being? Omnipotent means all-powerful. Can you imagine an omnipotent being that wasn't holy? That's kind of scary. Aren't you glad God is holy? (laughs) And so out of His holiness, all of His attributes operate perfectly. And with us, out of love, all these other fruits, well again, there I... I made them plural, didn't I? All these other aspects of this fruit flow. Well, anyway, so let's think about love just for a moment. We're going we're gonna to give you just some bullet statements and then we'll be done. What about this kind of love? This is a love, the love of God, this agape love that the Spirit of God produces in us. There's so much we could say about it because the Bible has a lot to say about it. But as we think about it, I'm just going to give you a couple thoughts. And this, is, again, is not exhaustive. Uh, you could definitely point out other aspects. But I put down that this love takes the initiative. This love takes the initiative. The kind of love the Holy Spirit wants to produce in our life is a love that takes the initiative. In other words, like it's a godly love. We love God because why? He first loved us. God's the one who took the initiative in reaching down to us, didn't He? He He reached out to you and I, and uh, He, you know, saw us in our sin. He saw us in our condition, our our filth, and all of these things. But because of His love, He reached out to us. He came to us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So if we're to love like God, if the whole, this love the Spirit produces in us is a love that you know, doesn't wait for someone else to say sorry or doesn't wait for someone else to 
uh, take the first step, just that kind of love would compel us to, to move toward them. I mentioned this some other time in a sermon recently, I don't know which one, but um, I was said, you know, it's like those firefighters that were running into the buildings that were falling down there in New York back in 9-11. We're to run toward those that are hurting, not away from them. You know, you see people that are hurting, people that are struggling, people that are, uh, have a lot of issues in their life, and we tend to want to avoid them. At least I do. Sometimes I want to, you know, steer clear. There's some people you don't even want to ask them, how are you doing? Because you might get a long, uh, you know, uh, a long diatribe of how badly things are going in their life. But you know, the kind of love God gives us is a love that wants to move toward the hurting. Number two, this love is no respecter of persons. Listen to what God says in Deuteronomy 7, verse 7. It says, the Lord, he's talking to Israel, The Lord did not set His love upon you nor choose you because ye were more in number than any people. For ye were the fewest of all people, but because the Lord loved you. Moses told the Israelites that the Lord loved you simply because He loved you, not because there was anything lovely about you. His love was irrespective of any kind of uh, merit. Now, we tend to love people that we, we see, you know, we have a, an attraction to, or we, have, we see some merit in them. We see some worthiness of that. That's, that's a love that the world can produce, but this love the Spirit of God produces is a love that has no regard for merit. We just love them because the love of God is shed abroad in our heart. And when you look at people, you know, Every person, every single person was created in the image of God. Regardless of race, regardless of status, regardless of all the different distinctions people make. Love takes the initiative. Love is no respecter of persons. This kind of love cannot ignore the needs of others. I did not know this until Sunday school. But I have in my notes your memory verse for this week. It's 1 John 3.17. Listen to what it says. But whoso hath this world's goods, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Did you catch all that? If you see your brother has needs and you don't reach out in compassion, then the question is, how does the love of God dwell in you? If you can ignore uh, the needs of others, then you, you need to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. I, I know that many times, because I'm a pastor, you know, I have, I have people, um, just simply because of my position, they, they come to me with needs a lot. And there are times when, you know, it's, it becomes a challenge to uh, always be open to trying to reach their needs or help their needs or meet their needs. But by God's grace and through the work He's doing in my life still, 
I do find it hard to ignore people's needs. You know, sometimes my wife says, you can't be everything to everybody. And I say, I know I can't. But I can't, I can't just look away either. I can't be like the, the Levite and the priest that went by on the other side when the man was laying in the ditch. Now I say I can't. Sometimes I have, and, and I'm not perfect in it, but we need to be <clears throat> growing in this fruit of the Spirit. Alright, so, love takes initiative, is no respecter of persons, doesn't ignore the needs of others, it forgives without apologies for the wrong done to it. This kind of love is willing and able to forgive, having been forgiven by God's love, we do the same to others. As the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, as we grow in the fruit of the Spirit, really there should be just an attitude of ready to forgive. doesn't mean that, you know, well, I'll forgive when they, you know, do this and this and this. Then, then maybe I'll forgive. No. The forgiveness is there. Because we've been forgiven by God so much. All right, last one. This love is not a matter of feeling, but of the will and action. The world portrays love as a feeling. It's just an emotion. But that's not biblical love. Because it's not only the fruit the Spirit produces in you, but you are commanded to love one another. And that's, that's what, when I finally understood that many, many years ago, I thought, how can you command somebody to love someone? I command you to love me, you know. But God does command us. Because it's not a feeling, it's an action, it's a matter of the will. We are, what does it mean to love? It doesn't mean you have to have warm, fuzzy feelings for them. It just simply means that you desire their best and you try to work toward the best for that person. That's why sometimes it may, you know, uh, people talk about Christians being intolerant about sinful behaviors and lifestyles. It's not that we're intolerant, but really it's not that we're unloving. It's that we know that that lifestyle is not best for them. It's not helping them. It's only going to hurt and destroy them. <coughs> and so out of love, Sometimes love is, means a rebuke. David, the best friend he ever had was Nathan who came to him and said uh, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and tried to cover it up and you know he told that story about someone's sheep and all that and David said that guy should be punished and he said, David, you're the guy. That was the most loving thing Nathan could do. Why? Because he wanted the best for David. David repented and and he was helped by that. But I'm just saying that love is a chief component of the fruit of the Spirit. And we're all growing in that fruit. God, you know, the Lord is working toward making us like Christ. We want people to see Jesus in you. There was another verse to that song. I thought about just reading it, but let me read it. We'll, this will be it. We're done. Okay. That song Ron Hamilton wrote. He said, When I stand before my Father to receive my life's reward, 
and my soul is bathed in God's eternal day. When this race on earth is run, and God sees the work I've done, more than anything I long to hear my Father say, I saw Jesus in you. I saw Jesus in you. Let's stand.